So happy Mother's Day. And we have a tradition here uh, for all the ladies uh, of all ages. Uh, we have flowers for you. So uh, out the doors, uh, after service, there'll be people handing out flowers. So you don't technically have to be a mom. If, if you're a lady and you want a flower, by all means, take one. Take two. I don't know. They're for you. We want to celebrate you. Uh, Bill mentioned uh, the team that was here this morning gathering. They're on their way down to Ensenada. About 20, uh, 20 or so people are heading down. Uh, they left about 8.30 or 9. And so if you would pray for them this week, we would really appreciate that. They're building two homes, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and then uh, Thursday and Friday. And so if you would pray for them and just everything that goes into that. I talked to Mark yesterday. There's five people who have not been on the trip before. So if you would pray for them and just, just everything, you know. And, and thank you again for your just incredible generosity. Uh, Bill, what, what do we need to raise? I forget, twenty. So we needed 27000 and we exceeded that uh, for the two homes, yes. And so uh, thank you, because you're investing in lives. You're changing lives. Literally, by the time the team gets back next Saturday, you, we will have made a difference in two, two families. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, in the bulletin, uh, just a reminder, we made the announcements last Sunday. There's a couple of memorials coming up. If you knew Ed Walker... Uh, there's a graveside and a memorial at the Wesleyan Church tomorrow. And then Thelma, dear sister Thelma, uh, we're having her memorial here on the 28th. You want to feel free to join us at 4 p.m. You can put those on your calendars. And then uh, finally, for all the ladies that have been attending the Monday morning 10 a.m. Bible study here at the well, there's, they're not going to meet for the next two Mondays. So starting tomorrow and the next Monday, uh, that particular women's study will not be joining. Well, good morning. We're going to continue our study through the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. And uh, we're in chapter 3. Uh, I came across this, this little uh, survey, and it said this. It said, about 20 years ago, a survey of 7,000 Protestant youths from many denominations asked whether they agreed with the following statement. The way to be accepted by God is to, try to, is to try sincerely to live a good life. I'll repeat that. So this is 7,000 Protestant youths. They're asking whether or not you agree with this statement. The way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life. More than 60% agreed. Quote, God is satisfied if a person lives the best life he can. Almost 70% agreed. Interesting, right? The way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to, give, to live a good life. More than 60% out of 7,000 Protestant youth agreed with that statement. As, now, if you were here last week, you know... Biblically, there's a problem with that, right? Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Remember, he's talking about the Judaizers, the legalists. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Amen? Right? So last week... We, we really focused on, right, I asked you the question, well, if you had 30 seconds or a minute to answer the question, well, how am I saved? 
right? The guy asked me that question downtown San Diego 20 plus years ago, and I had to running, you know, I couldn't be there more than a minute. How are you saved? And, and really, we saw that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Right? And in fact, uh, in Acts 16, we saw where the jailer, remember the supernatural, uh, Paul and Silas are in jail. There's an earthquake. The jailer freaks out, thinking everyone escaped, right? And in Acts 16, he says, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, right? And so it's faith. And so you come back to 7,000 Protestant youth who say the way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life. Well, based on what we've seen, even just in these two passages, there's something that we would have to say to more than 60% of them. And it's a word that's, that's uncomfortable, especially in 2022. We would have to say, you know, thanks for coming to the conference or wherever. I, 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 nothing personal, but you're wrong. <laughs> now, I'm going to guess that Probably, maybe one person here, maybe online. I don't know anyone who likes being told they're wrong. Anyone? Are you sitting next to someone who likes to tell you that you're wrong? I mean, I don't, I don't know, right? Right? How does that go over, right? Right? You're coming. Wrong. Can't even get the word out, right? It's such a weird wrong. It just sounds wrong, right? Yeah, wrong just sounds wrong, right? And so, uh, based on Philippians 3, 1, 2, and 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. We know from Scripture that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. We would have to lovingly speak the truth to these youth and say, you know, um, you're wrong. You're not accepted by God by the good things you think you do, right? And And this is really important because as we move in through Philippians 3 today, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul is going to share his testimony and his radical transformation from Saul to Paul and underlying, underlying what happened to him, quite frankly, was a confrontation with wrongness. He was confronted by Jesus with being wrong to the very core of his being, the whole direction of his life up until he met Jesus was wrong. And the radical transformation and how God used him really goes back to that decision, that choice he had to make when he was confronted with being wrong. And for us, as I was working through this, because you know it seems on the surface very simple, I think for us the challenge and what the Lord may speak to you, he spoke to me, he may speak to you, maybe speak to you at home this morning is, how do you do in this area of being see, some of you don't even want to say it. You, you, you're about to and it just 
the W just, right? Because it's painful. No one likes to be wrong. We try really hard to get it right, right? And, and I was reading up a little bit on, on why is it so hard for us to accept, to admit that we might even be a little bit wrong. Like, we're going to see Paul was completely, like, he had a massive wrongness to deal with. But for us, right, even the smallest wrongness, why is it so hard to, to just accept it, learn from it, and move forward, right? How many of you learned how to ride a bike by falling? Anyone? Like, you know what you, were, what, you, know what you did every time you fell? You were wrong, you, you, right? It, it took a lot of wrongs to get it right. And so we, we as kids, kind of we learn, right? You know, stick something in the outlet, that's wrong. But you learn not to do it again, right? So, so we actually learn, as kids, we have this freedom of life. And we're learning, right? And we hope, as parents, you hope that your kid doesn't learn the hard way, doesn't hurt themselves, doesn't, you know, do anything catastrophic. But there's this sense when we were young, you were just learning because you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. But somehow as adults, all this fear and anxiety and bondage come into being wrong. And so you super analyze everything to try to prevent being wrong because society doesn't let you be wrong. Everyone in this whole culture has to be right. Like this whole culture is so polarized because everyone believes they're right. And, and it, it, it's gotten to the point where, you know, okay, you know, it, it's so funny. I was sharing with, with my family and, and the leaders, you know, it's even with the best of intentions. Sometimes people say things that, that lay a burden on you. Right, so so I'm growing up, and you know I've shared with you before. I was very did very well in school and sports and all this, and and I can become my own worst drill sergeant, right? Even now when I get something wrong at home, I'll just I'll just blast myself. Oh, you idiot! How could you do that? And it's funny because I'll speak to myself in third person. I'll be like, Laton, what were you thinking? You know, it's like the coach. I hear the football coach just yelling at me, and and there's this part of that where. If I, if I do something wrong, if I make a mistake, I will hear this voice say, how could you? Or what were you thinking? Anyone ever hear what we think? And implicit in that, if you're not careful, is what were you thinking means you should have known what you didn't know. What were you thinking? Well, at the very moment, I was thinking I was doing right. But as we get older and you hear what were you thinking, how could you? Suddenly, we're now trying to overanalyze everything and figure out how to know what we don't know. You get get what I'm saying? And it's this bondage, right? Because we're so, we can't be wrong anymore. And and, and this this resistance to being wrong, it, it, it touches our esteem. It touches our ego. It touches our pride, our identity, Fear of what people are going to think of us if we're wrong, right? Our, our deep insecurities. It, it, if we're wrong, that means I have to take responsibility. I have to take ownership of being wrong and the consequences that came from it. Do you understand how layered this is? This is deep because you have to take ownership of your life 
and everything that happens because you made a wrong decision. Now, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't even mean you had malintent. It just means at the best of your ability, in that exact moment, based on the knowledge and everything, even with the best of intentions, it was just the wrong choice. That's called L-I-F-E. Amen? That's just life. You know, that's why I love Peter. Right? Hey, guys, you know, I'm going to be crucified, and you're going to deny me for the rooster goes, nah, come on. Right? Peter was wrong. Right? That's why I love Peter, because he's a great demonstration of God's grace. God's grace. Jesus didn't kick him to the curb. Hey, Pete, you know, come on, three strikes, three wrongs, and you're out of the club. No. Right? And so underlying this, as we move through this, I just... Ask yourself, how free are you? How able are you to accept being wrong? Like, if I say, hey, you were wrong, do you, right? <clears throat> you're wrong. I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Right? And, and who's wronger, right? I don't know, I don't even know if that's a word, right? Because it's just so hard for us to say, if someone says, you're wrong, you say, ah, you're right. I'm wrong. And learn from it. Like, like just getting back to the place of, of owning well-intentioned wrong decisions or whatever it might be. Owning it, learning from it, taking responsibility, and moving forward and being better for it. Amen? That's called wisdom. That's how you grow. And so some of us, even in the church, are struggling with this. Oh, it's so hard for me to admit I'm wrong. Right? And, and my prayer is that as we look through these verses, say that maybe God will speak to you and actually free you. And, and maybe God will speak grace to you and you'll cut yourself some slack. Right? A while back, I, I preached a, series, a, a sermon and it was focusing on, you know, are you focusing on rightness or righteousness? Right? Or do you really want to focus on righteous, holy, godly living, or are you focused on just being right? Right, 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 versus just righteousness. Because if you want to live a life of righteousness, quite honestly, you're going to be wrong sometimes, and it means humility and grace and all of this, right? But if you focus on rightness, then it's always someone else. And really, the root of that is pride. It's pride. So, so just, you know, think about it. Scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing with the ability to accept, admit, receive correction and maybe conclusion that, yeah, you know what? I am wrong in this area. Okay, so that's kind of underlying this. Philippians 3, 4 through 9, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Remember, he's uh, speaking to believers about Judaizers, the legalists. He says this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we'll go back and we'll read verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, hey, Judah, did you think you're something? Check out my resume. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He is just lift, listing his spiritual resume, his credentials, right? And, and he's doing this because these Judaizers have caused a bunch of turmoil, and they're putting people under bondage, and they're creating create a lot of confusion, Right? A lot of fear and anxiety, and just turning things up to that. He said, Hey guys, you think you think you're all that. Check this out. Right? So he lists these, his pedigree, right? Hebrew. Hebrews, he was his mother and father were pure Jews, no mingling of blood in his lineage, right? His practices, he's a Pharisee, is zealous, a persecutor of the church. He's blameless. So you have his pedigree and his practices, right? I love this. Charles Swindoll says, in today's terms, the proud Pharisee known as Saul of Tarsus won all the marbles. The Pulitzer, the Medal of Honor, the Most Valuable Player, the Heisman, the Gold Medal. The noble of ancient Jewry. Had they had newspapers or magazines in his day, his picture would have been on the front page, and the headlines would have read, Religious Zealot of the Decade. He was the name dropped by everybody who was anybody, right? You got to get this. this is, he has some major street cred. For what he's, what he's sharing. This is now his testimony, right? Remember he said, hey, I put no confidence in the flesh, and let me tell you where I come from to say that. So he lists this, and people suddenly are like, whoa. Whoa. And the challenging part is as he's saying this, some people are being challenged that maybe they're wrong. If this guy with these credentials says he was wrong, hmm, that makes it uncomfortable. Makes it uncomfortable, right? Because he did everything right. He was from the right nation, Israel. He was from the right race, the Hebrews. He was from the right sect, the Pharisees. He was, had the right drive. He was zealous. He had the right religious practice. He did everything right. Only in the end to find out that he was, hmm. How frustrating must that have been? Because this is what his whole life was built on, was rightness. Right religiosity. This is what everything, he was committed. He was faithful. He was all in. And he did it well. MVP, Heisman, whatever you want to call it. He was it. Only to be told, in the end, only be confronted with Jesus say, I know you've tried everything to be right, but Paul, you're wrong. Ooh. And I know that some in the church, you're, you're wonderful people. You really are, you know? And it's not like you have bad intent. You're not being malicious. You're not trying to intentionally mess your life up or someone else's life up. You do want to please God. You're trying very hard to do everything right. But you know what? You might be. And the question today is, are you willing to receive that? Are you willing to receive that? That even with the best sincerity. See, Paul was sincerely wrong. 
And this is, this is the challenge. You know, I was, in, I was in youth ministry for many years when I first started. And, and sometimes parents would come to me for, for counseling. And we would sit with the parents and the teenagers, and it's World War III, and they don't want to listen, and I've taken everything away, and they don't care anymore, and, you know, and it's just like, oh, we need help, right? And, and I'm, sometimes we're listening, and depending on the situation, I'd have to sort of lovingly try to tell mom and dad that what you're doing is, uh, because, you know, when they say, can we come in for counseling, I learned very quickly, that's code for, can you fix my kid? That's what that was code for. And so when we sit there and I, I find out how the family actually runs and the dynamics and everything, I'm like, whoa, mom and dad actually aren't so right. Right? And so... At all these levels, it's not an issue of your ill intent or that you're a bad person, okay? This is, this is what I'm talking about. But so many of us have equated even making an honest mistake or being wrong based on your nature or your nurture, okay? Some of us, some of you were raised in such a way that that's all, that's all you know, okay? And so we've got to give ourselves grace and you've got to give others grace because you don't know their story, you don't know their story, the things that, that caused them to even make some of those decisions. It's not an excuse, but it's grace. You understand, right? It, it, you're like, oh my gosh, how can that person just keep making all those wrong decisions? Well, I know their story, and I can tell you why. Because there's a whole lot under the surface that you don't know. A lot of fear, a lot of pain, a lot of anxiety, a lot of trauma. And so what outwardly looks like, unreasonable, wrong choices. They're being driven by some stuff, guys. And that's what I'm saying is we have to be, if, if, at the end of the message, you're gonna see at the core of the gospel, coming to Jesus at the cross is an admission at the salvation level that you were wrong and you need a savior because of your sin. You understand what I'm saying? If you can stay there and say, I came to Christ because I admitted at the deepest level that I was wrong, meaning I need a savior, I can't get to God on my own, and you receive that grace and love, you know what happens? You'll give that to other people. That'll start to flow out, okay? But if you're like a Pharisee and I don't need God and it's all about being right, what did the Pharisees do? Lay the burdens on other people, okay? So the apostle Paul, he, he did everything right. Even with the right intentions, this is just how he was raised. This is what he thought was right. But it turns out he wasn't right at the deepest level. So he gives his credentials, and I like this. Is if you aren't impressed with his credentials, it says, it's only because you aren't a Jew living in the first century. There's a term we sometimes use to describe people from a very high position in society. We call them blue bloods. Paul was a Jewish blue blood. He was as in as you could be in the first century. He had it all, Jewish descent, an excellent Jewish education, high, schools, high social standing, a reputation for keeping the law, and a reputation for moral purity. What more could you want? Now stop right there. That's the whole point of this passage. What more could you want? If being religious could get you to heaven, then Paul should have had a guaranteed front row seat right next to Moses and Elijah. His spiritual resume was as good as it gets. Talk about your high draft pick. He was number one. And yet, in verse 7, he says, I count that all as loss. So something has happened. 
something has happened, right? Ray Pritchard says, the point is most people in the world stop right here and go no further. They take a look at their spiritual resume and figure, it's not too bad. Maybe it's not as good as Paul's, but it's surely good enough to squeak into heaven. They go to church occasionally. They try to be good. They haven't killed anyone lately. They try to help others in need, and they figure that somehow it's all going to work out in the end, right? They serve at the well. They're on their way to Ensenada. They gave money for the homes. Right? Let's just make this real. Let's bring it to 2022. They subscribe to the oldest religion in the world, the do the best you can religion. They figure as long as you do your best, when you die, God will smile, shake his head, and say, ah, come on in. Most people sincerely believe that doing your best is enough. What more could you want? Okay, and so at the core of that is to lovingly say, well, this is what the Bible says. According to what the Bible says, God loves you so much, and he sent his son to die for you, but you're wrong when it comes to trying to get it by being good enough. Right, and I, I've talked to you before about this, you know, uh, and I asked this question: Is God great on the curve or the straight scale? Now, most of us would hope that He grades on the curve, right? How many of you in school like the curve? I I like the curve, because as soon as the teacher said this test will be on the curve, what did you do? You looked at everybody else, and you're like, I know I'm going to do pretty good. Because I know who's sitting behind me, right? We like the curve because it's based on relative performance to the rest, right? And so it's, it's me against you, and I know I'm better than you and smarter than you, and I'm going to, so we like the curve. Unfortunately, if you think that God grades on the curve and you get into heaven based on the curve, according to the Bible, you're, you're wrong. That's. Whew, that's heavy. It is heavy. I get that, right? Because that is the eternal question. Most significant eternal question is how can I be right with God? So we better know how God grades, right? And so he doesn't grade on the curve. He grades on the straight scale. And here's the thing. It's not even just the regular straight scale. His scale, according to the law, would be what? Perfection. Perfection. So in James 2.10, it says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So it's not just a straight scale. It's a one and done, pass fail. So just, you know, you don't have to raise your hand because, you know, here or at home. I'm just going to ask a question just in general. Have you sinned once? Because according to James 2.10 and God's scale, you're guilty of all. Then, then you go, that's impossible. No one on this planet could be perfect for the whole life. And you know what? The, the Bible would say, amen. That's the whole point of the law. The law was given to bring us to the cross, amen? The law was given not to earn your way to heaven. The law was given to show you the futility of trying to live a perfect life to the point where you throw your hands up and you throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God. That was the point of the law. 
was to show our need for a savior, the impossibility of perfection. That was the whole point. It was not to be a way for us to get into the pearly gates. Now, I say that, and it's still challenging because deep at the core of that law versus grace is an admission of being wrong. Right, I shared last Sunday, I had friends who would share the gospel with me in college and, and, you know, I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition and they would read out their Bibles and they would share scripture with me and at a certain point they would talk about sin and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, right, John three sixteen. they would share that with me and I was sharing with them and I'm trying to listen Right, and I'm getting it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember the four spiritual laws, right? Remember the four spiritual laws with the two cliffs, right? The little track, and, you know, there's two cliffs, and there's this chasm, and God's on, you're on one side, and God's on the other, and all these good works try to bridge it, but only the cross can bridge it. Anyone? I'm just, like, dating myself from, like, the 70s, probably. And they would share the track with the four spiritual laws, and they would draw it on diagram on napkins, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. And i got to be honest with you. At a certain point, I would start, sometimes I'd get mad. I would get upset, like angry, because I'm like, okay, let me get this straight. Jesus, cross, I get, right? Well, Jesus, the only way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, right? David shared John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, okay. I'm sharing this, and I got to be honest with you, they were good friends. They loved me. They, they wanted me, you know, right, to know Jesus. But I was struggling because in the end, I knew what they were saying, and the verses they were saying, saying was like, I was wrong. They, at the core, it was very clear, and they were very loving, and they were very patient. They were confronting me with being wrong about my view of how to get to heaven, which even included my cultural upbringing, my family upbringing. Okay, so now I got real personal. And... And that's, I get that, that's, that's heavy, that's weighty. And I so appreciate their grace and their patience with me. And they would share scripture and they would just let the Holy Spirit work on my heart. Okay? They didn't try to out-debate me, they didn't try to, they would just share, this is what the Bible says, this is God's grace, this is how you get to heaven according to the Bible. And they would just leave it with me. And I would like, wow, okay, wow. How many of you find it easier to admit you're wrong when you're not around anyone else? (laughs) Right, because it's like, you know, they're sharing with me, and it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, I used to be like, okay, here we go again, you know, they want to, they they weasel the conversation, you know, like, okay, here we go again, and they get to that point, and they want to share the gospel, and it's like, it was weird because they wanted to share Jesus, and they get that, well, do you want to receive Jesus, do you want to, and I understood it here. But you know what a lot of my resistance was? was, Well, you know what? And this was my pride. If I bow my knee to Jesus and I accept Jesus, I'm kind of admitting in front of you that I was wrong. You see the human dynamic? I was so prideful that I could not receive Jesus with my friends because I was afraid of being wrong and having to admit that I was wrong all this time in front of them. That's just being real. That's just the pride, the level of pride I had. 
I couldn't even be, I couldn't even admit that I needed Jesus as Savior because I was so scared of looking the fool because I'd been wrong all these years in front of my friends. That's the power of it. That's when even the devil gets in our head, right? They want to celebrate. They're, gonna, they're ready to go, woo-hoo, and I'm like, mm-mm. I'll think about it. I'll think about it, you know? That's the power of this, this fear, this fear of man, okay? And so God doesn't grin on a curve. It's a straight scale, perfection, all to say, I need a Savior. I need a Savior, right? And so in Philippians 3, 7, Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That word gain in the, in the original language is plural. So he's talking about the seven things and all the things. So all these things that I considered gain on this side of the ledger, I now put it to the lost side of the ledger. Okay? That's what he's saying in the New Living. It says, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Amen? Right? When he says, I count it as loss, you know what that is? That's a mathematical term. It means to think about it and come to a conclusion. How many of you ever, you know, if you're mathematical, why are you just, you know, anyone do this? I got it. Anyone have another? Ah. Right? You, 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 you're thinking about it. You're like, got it. Got it. I know the answer. This is what he's saying. It's like, ah, I got to change the bookkeeping. I got to move them some things around, right? What was gained goes to the loss. This is, this is a settled conviction, right? And it's interesting because it's not even loss. It, what that word loss means, it's not only useless, it's detrimental. It's detrimental. Warren Wiersbe says this, like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. He had to lose his religion to find salvation. You know what the challenge is in our culture in sharing the gospel? Is you're sharing it with a lot of good people who are doing good things, who are good moral people in in your neighborhood and are comfortable, and are not hurting anyone. It's the good that's the enemy of the best. That's our challenge. That's, that's our challenge. I had a friend in San Diego who worked with, uh, he, he grew up like hardcore street gangbanger, right? And we worked in ministry together. And his heart was to work with gangbanger kids, like street kids, like hardcore gangsters. And he said, you know why I like that? Because we're just straight with each other. They don't play games. He's like, you, pointing at me, you can work with the church kids. <laughs> they drive me crazy. Because they just been there, done that, and they give me all the right answers, and, they, and then they go do whatever they want. Right? When he's talking to Jesus about, about Jesus to the gangsters, they're like, ah, get out of my face. Or it's real deal. Really? It's just real. It's real. There's no game playing. So the challenge in our culture in sharing the good news is that you're sharing with people who think that they're good enough. And then when you walk them through the gospel and the, the law, if you want, the grade, the curve, the, 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 then they're suddenly like, oh, so you're saying I'm 
I'm not, the Bible is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's what the Bible says, right? So this is, I share this with you because this is what the church, we need to be salt and light. This world needs us to go out there. But I'm just trying to help you understand what you're coming up against. And this, this challenge that the gospel, as much as we go, woohoo, good news, at the core level, some people really actually get it, understand it, but their challenge is having to admit that they've been wrong all these years. Okay, so just share that with you. Maybe in your relationship with them, as you just give them time and your patience, maybe they're just struggling with this issue of having to admit being wrong. Because by golly, they've never been wrong. And I've got this company up and running because I did it my way, right? And there's a lot of history, like Paul, that comes into play to get them to the point of putting their hands up and surrendering to Jesus. It's not necessarily that they don't understand what the Bible is saying, okay? They're struggling with admission of wrongness, that I need a Savior, that I, I haven't had it completely right, okay? That's what's going on. That's what's going on. J. Vernon McGee says this. On the credit side of the ledger, Paul had been adding up his background and his character and his religion. It seemed like an impressive list, and it was, on the human plane. Suddenly, it all became a debit. He no longer trusted in those things because he met Jesus Christ. He had hated him before and was on the way to Damascus to persecute his followers. But now, the one on the debit side was moved to the credit side. He put his entire trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my friend, if the bookkeeping system of this country were transformed like that, it would upset the economy of the world. It would be a revolution. Actually, any conversion is a revolution because what things are gained become loss, and loss becomes gain. It turns you upside down and right side up. It gets you in an altogether different position. That is what conversion is. Amen? Right? Again, case in point, how many of you, as a believer, want to come to church and carve out Sunday mornings is church? Okay? How many of you, before you knew Jesus, Sunday morning was sleep in, newspaper, donuts, coffee? How many, right? Do you see? It switched, right? That's what happens. Your life gets turned upside down. You make changes from the inside out as a follower of Jesus. And he says, for the sake of Christ. That's very important. It, it means really because of the fact of Christ, who he was. So here's the thing. Paul comes to this conclusion. Man, what was gain I now consider loss. And he doesn't do this. What an idiot, Paul. What were you thinking all these years? Oh, my gosh. What? Right? And he doesn't turn into blame shifting. Well, gosh, I was sold a bill of goods, and, you know, it's not my fault. He doesn't do that. At least we're not told in Scripture. What he says is I, it's what, has, what was gained becomes lost for the sake of Christ. He is so focused on Jesus and the grace and love of Jesus that he just, it doesn't matter anymore. Amen? He's moving forward. He's not wallowing in regret. He's not wallowing in self-condemnation about, oh my gosh, how could you? And anyone ever hear like beat yourself up for a wrong decision? How could you? What an idiot. What, what were you thinking? Right? Right? No. Paul doesn't do that. He says, I counted what was gain was lost for the sake of Christ because I just love Jesus. And I'm moving forward in his grace. And at a certain point, guys, if you make a wrong choice, and look, if you sin, right? What does the Bible say? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, right? 
So what do we do? If we sin, we confess it, receive God's forgiveness immediately, and keep moving forward. Amen? It's the devil who's the accuser. It's the devil who puts you in bondage for how dumb and how, oh, and what were you doing? And if they only knew on Sunday, you No, that's coming from the enemy. Okay? God knows our frame. He knows you. He knows me. He knows your temptation buttons. He knows your habits. He knows the old you that gets triggered. He knows all of that. And when you do something wrong or you make a sinful choice, you know what you do? Confess it on the spot. Receive his forgiveness, his grace, and keep moving forward. Amen? Now, what is that? How does that enable us? Where does that come from? Because at some point in your life, if you're a believer, you admitted your need and that you had been wrong regarding salvation. Amen? You carry that forward into your sanctification. You give yourself grace, and then you start giving others grace. Because if you don't have it all together, and you still make wrong decisions, why can't you cut some other people slack for not having it together? Right? That's called the church. That's just called us being the church and coming alongside. You know, I told you here at the well, we do our best to do this and not this. Right? I'll show you scripture, and through the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, the Holy Spirit might do this. I'm not going to see that. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to do this. I'm going to do this and speak the truth in love and let God do what only he can do. But I can do that not in condemnation, because I'm doing that as a fellow person who started the cross just like you did. Who was humbled and said, Lord, I've been wrong my whole life. I've been, I've been completely wrong about salvation. So now, Lord, I'm going to go forward in my sanctification with humility and grace. Receiving it from you and giving it to others. Because none of us are going to have it together till we get to heaven. Okay? It's not an excuse for sin. Please don't. It's not. It's not. It's just how we deal with it. It's just mostly how we deal with it because we're all, the church has gotten so tied up in fear. Fear rather than freedom. Okay? Okay? John Eady says this, what was once gained was now reckoned loss, either because it did not commend him to Christ or it was held as something one was regarded now as loss or it did not enable to win Christ, nay, kept him from winning Christ. When he won, he was losing. Nay, the more he won, the more he must lose. All his advantages in birth, privilege, sect, earnestness, and obedience were not only profitless, but productive of positive loss, as they prevented the gaining of Christ and of justification through the faith of Christ. Basically, very successful materialistic United States of America. All of our gain materially become hindrances to humbling ourselves and waving a flag that we need Jesus because we're good people living good lives. That's the challenge we face. I get that. I get that. Okay? And so this morning I just want to encourage you to really examine yourself when it comes to this issue of being able to admit you're wrong because at a certain point if you're a believer we all admitted we were wrong and we all admitted that we needed a savior 
right? And we bring that forward. We just bring that forward. It's interesting. Uh, I came across this quote, uh, and I shared it this morning, and I was like, ah, I told them, I'm not so sure I'm going to share it. I shared it like, you got to share that. So this is a quote by Ronald Reagan, 1984, at a prayer breakfast. This is what he says. Our government needs the church because only those humble enough to admit they're sinners can bring democracy the tolerance it requires to survive. What a quote for 2022, right? You see, you, you see the connection? Those of us who have humbled ourselves and admitted that we were wrong and need a savior because we were sinners, that grace goes forward into the country. That's the connection he's making. Now you can bring that down into your own life. Okay, and, and in Philippians 3, 1, he, remember he said, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, this grace, this freedom, that, yeah, you know what, yeah, I'm good. I, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought I didn't need a Savior. I thought I was good with God. I thought it was all about works. I thought it was a, a, a curve. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm good with being wrong. In fact, I'm thankful that I'm wrong. And I'm thankful that I had friends in my life to show me I was wrong. Because through faith in Christ, now I know I'm right with God. And I have no problem admitting that I was wrong when I'm right with God. Amen? That's your testimony too. Maybe you need to come alongside someone and just say, hey, let me share, let me share something with you. You know what? At one point in my life, I was wrong too. And you share your story. That might be what they need to hear. Okay? Stephen Cole says, we must all come to the same place he, Paul, did, where we throw overboard as worthless, all trust in human merit, and cling to the Lord Jesus Christ as our only basis for acceptance with God. If we lose all of our pride and self-trust in exchange for Christ and his merit, we gain everything. Amen? We gain everything. So this morning, I just want to encourage you through the Apostle Paul, who did everything right, was confronted with Jesus on the road to Damascus and had to surrender and submit to being wrong and start from scratch. <laughs> like, he had to start from scratch. Like, wipe the slate clean type of thing. And it was okay. Right? That's what we do. We're all in a journey of sanctification. And I get it. Years ago in San Diego, I had... Uh, really good friend. How many of you have a friend that's like the nicest person ever? Like not even a believer. I'm not talking like not like a non-believer who is like the nicest person. Wouldn't hurt a fly, never speaks ill of anyone, would give you the shirt off their back, right? Just the nicest person in the world, but not a, what we, a believer, right? So I, I brought him to a Bible study in, in San Diego. We sit through it, traditional altar call. You need Jesus, right? We go back to the prayer room. I'm like, oh, he wants to go back to the prayer room. I repeat the gospel again. And he looks at me. Remember, nicest guy, most sincere, wouldn't hurt a fly, would do anything for anyone. He looks at me and he goes, but I don't sin. Now, in his mind, defined as murder, the biggies, the Ten Commandments, what most people 
right? I don't do the, I'm not a sinner because I keep the Ten Commandments. And so it was, it was the most sincere comment. And he was very honest. We had a relationship. He goes, but I don't sin. And at that moment, I knew I had to take a step back. Because this was an issue of, I wasn't going to say you're wrong. Because I just shared with him Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, I'm not going to try to do what God <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I just, I just want to encourage you to think about it. Because at that point, I recognized the issue of wrongness that he was struggling with, right? Because for him to come to Christ, he would have to admit that he was wrong about not being a sinner. That's a biggie for a lot of people, even today. That is a biggie. I mean, how many of you, I mean, think about it. When you, before you were a believer and people were talking about Jesus and sin, how many of you got a little torqued when, they, they, when you realized that they were calling you out as a sinner? Anyone? So you mean I'm a sinner? Well, who are you? I know what you do. You're not perfect, right? You, it, it, when it comes around sin, people get a little bit, eh, nah, because like my friend, I don't sin. Defined as I keep the Ten Commandments, I'm a good guy. And he was. And at that moment, I just had to, just, I just stepped, took a step back and said, okay, just think about what you heard. Just, you know. Because it was an issue of him having to admit that he's wrong. That's a biggie. That's a biggie, right? And, and if you read through the Gospels, a lot of people were struggling with Jesus because it was admission of having, I am the bread of life. Peace out. Why? Because they would admit that they were wrong about him. Isn't this Joseph's son? No, that's the Messiah. Whoa, 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 right? There's so much in the Gospels, if you read it through this lens, where people were either receiving Jesus because they were admitting they were wrong about him, or they were walking away because they couldn't handle it. Nah, nah, that can't be, which means code for, I'm not wrong. I can't be wrong, right? And so for us today, and, and next week we're going to keep looking through here because Paul moves from salvation into sanctification. I count all things loss, not just my good credentials. Because he talks about knowing Jesus and the worth of that. He moves more into sanctification. But for us today, if you're in the church, I just want to encourage you. If you've been sort of in, in sort of maybe a, a bit of bondage and fear and you've gotten caught up in right, 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 be right, be right, be right, be right. Today, go back to the cross. And that time when you said, Lord, I've been wrong. I need a savior. I am a sinner, according to your word. And that moment when in your wrongness, you receive God's grace and his love. <laughs> and there was such freedom because there was nothing you did to earn that. Amen? Like he came down and he, he, he loved you and he wrapped his arms around you and he made you his son and his daughter in your wrongness. That's crazy. Right? All you can do is just, <laughs> okay, and move forward in that joy. Just move forward in that joy and the grace, and then give it to others, okay? And if you're here this morning and you get the gospel now, you've heard me say it five different ways, even my friend, I want to encourage you, if you're here or you're listening at home or later in the week or Triple C, hello, Triple C this afternoon, God loves you. 
That's why he sent Jesus. Right? And, you know, I get it. It's weighty. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And, and sometimes it's like, but, 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 but. And, we, and then we wrestle with Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Right? It's just receive the gift. And you're like, but, 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 but. There's got to be a catch. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. There's nothing you do to earn it or to keep it. The greatest, this is the greatest thing to be wrong about. Amen? If you're going to be wrong about something, be wrong about this and then make it right. <laughs> That's the good news. That's the good news. So this morning, if, if you get it, it's okay. You're surrounded by people who at one time in their life with this very issue were wrong. If that to you, put your hand up. If you're saved and you understand at one point in your life, I was wrong about Jesus, but now I'm right about it, just put your hand up just so others can feel good about where they're at. You're in, you're, you're, this is just called the church. The church is made up of people who at one time were wrong about salvation in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, and are now right with God through faith in Jesus, and that's just called the church. And I encourage you this morning to do that, okay? So, band, come on up. We're going to uh, go into time of communion, and then uh, we'll sing a song. So, Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you know us. And Father, this morning we looked at the Apostle Paul and man, oh man, we can so relate. He did everything right. He did everything right. And his intentions were right. But we've learned that he was wrong. And that he needed to be saved by grace. Unmerited favor. Through faith in Jesus. And so Father, for your church this morning, I pray that we would go back to that moment of the cross where we received your grace, your mercy, your love. Because we admitted we were wrong and we needed a savior. And that you would pour out your love into our hearts and just remind us that we're still your kids. And you still love us dearly, even when we make wrong choices. And Father, for those here who don't know Jesus, I pray that they would receive the gift of salvation. That they would admit that they've been wrong. In whatever capacity, whether it's thinking you, you're great on a curve, whether they're thinking it's being good enough, whether it's thinking they're not a sinner. I don't know, whatever it would be. Whether you're here or at home, I pray that you would receive the gift of salvation. Receive Jesus. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Receive the gift of salvation. It's the best way you, you know, just say, dear God, I may not understand it, but I get it. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So the best way I know how I'm putting my faith in Jesus this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. I believe you rose from the dead. I trust you. I just trust you today for my salvation. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
So happy Mother's Day. And we have a tradition here uh, for all the ladies uh, of all ages. Uh, we have flowers for you. So uh, out the doors uh, after service, there'll be people handing out flowers. So you don't technically have to be a mom. If, if you're a lady and you want a flower, by all means, take one. Take two. I don't know. Just, they're for you. We want to celebrate you. Uh, Bill mentioned uh, the team that was here this morning gathering. They're on their way down to Ensenada. About 20, uh, 20 or so people are heading down. Uh, they left about 8.30 or 9. And so if you would pray for them this week, we would really appreciate that. They're building two homes, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and then uh, Thursday and Friday. And so if you would pray for them and just everything that goes into that. I talked to Mark yesterday. There's five people who have not been on the trip before. So if you would pray for them and just, just everything, you know. And, and thank you again for your just incredible generosity. Uh, Bill, what, what do we need to raise? I forget, 20... So we needed 27000 and we exceeded that uh, for the two homes, yes. And so uh, thank you, because you're investing in lives. You're changing lives. Literally, by the time the team gets back next Saturday, you, we will have made a difference in two, two families. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, in the bulletin, uh, just a reminder, we made the announcements last Sunday. There's a couple of memorials coming up. If you knew Ed Walker... Uh, there's a graveside and a memorial at the Wesleyan Church tomorrow. And then Thelma, dear sister Thelma, uh, we're having her memorial here on the 28th. Wanna feel free to join us at 4 p.m. You can put those on your calendars. And then uh, finally, for all the ladies that have been attending the Monday morning 10 a.m. Bible study here at the well, there's, they're not going to meet for the next two Mondays. So starting tomorrow and the next Monday, uh, that particular women's study will not be joining. 